Well, it is good to be in church on Wednesday night. I think only half of them are glad to be in church on Wednesday. You weren't ready for interaction, I understand. It's good to be in church on Wednesday night. Amen. It most certainly is. And we are glad to be here. We have mixed emotions. We are glad to be here, but we have to take off tomorrow. And we've been stretching this out as long as we possibly can. And uh, our, our little girl now is going to be left here at the mercy of whoever she's at the mercy of. Amen. And uh, now we're excited about it. We really are. And she's excited about what the Lord is doing in her life. And uh, we have enjoyed the, the last couple of days, you know, getting moved in and all that. And then being able to be here yesterday for all the preaching. What a wonderful blessing that was. And uh, just it was just a wonderful, wonderful blessing. I first I first ran into uh, the folks here uh, and that we saw yesterday. I, I went into evangelism in 1996 and that will be 26 years ago. Well, in just a few days next month, 26 years ago. And at that time, a young couple from my home church, Bible Baptist Church in Fairbanks, Alaska, was on staff at Pacific Coast Baptist Bible College. And that was Dennis and Morgan Reese. And Morgan came down tonight from Stillwater to be with us. And what a wonderful blessing that is. And they said, hey, if you don't have anywhere to be, why don't you come stay with us for a while? And so I went out and stayed with them for a while because I had some meetings in the, in the western part of the country. And and then next thing you know, it was it was college days. And and Brother Randolph asked me if I would if I would preach and if I would sing. And uh, and then I met Brother Brown and and uh, I met Brother Stevens and I met I met all kinds of folks and churches we've been going back to ever since. And dear, dear friends. And it's just been a long, interesting journey. Uh, but what a wonderful thing that we could be here now and leaving hope here. Uh, to train during this time. So we're just, we're just thrilled to be here and to be able to be a little part of the opening festivities of this week. And we're glad to be here at Southwest on Wednesday night. We really are. And uh, I trust, my, my intention is not to preach long tonight. <laughs> but things happen sometimes. <laughs> Take your Bible, if you would, and turn to the book of Philippians chapter number two, Philippians chapter number two. And when you find that, would you stand with me as we read the word of God? Philippians chapter number two. It has been a blessing this week to see so many young people from so many churches that we're in throughout the year and, and coming up and saying hello. And, and when you do that, please, please do what you've been doing. Remind me what church you're from. Uh, because although that picture of me in the bulletin uh, looks young, um, I'm not. So uh, I'm not sure where they found that. But thank you. Thank you. That, I mean, what hair I have was dark and that was exciting. I mean, my son didn't know who it was in the bulletin. And, and I wasn't real sure either. But if my name was there. Amen. Philippians chapter 2. Look, if you would, at verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. 
And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the good day that you've given to us. And Lord, thank you for the, the good singing tonight in the service and the good spirit. Lord, we just ask that as we look into your word in the next few minutes, that you would indeed use it in our hearts and lives. And Lord, I know this is opening days for Heartland and, and I understand all of that. But I also know that in a group this size, there may well be somebody here tonight who does not know Christ as Savior. And God, if that's the case, I pray they would not leave that way, but that today would be the day of salvation. And we'll be sure to thank you and praise you for all that you do in Jesus name. Amen. You may be seated. Brother Gaddis, is that my water? Praise the Lord. Look at that. I'll turn around this way so you guys don't feel jealous. This is a wonderful, wonderful passage of Scripture. It really is a tremendous passage of scripture, but always remember that God gave us his word in long form. I like to say it this way. God doesn't tweet. The Bible is not made up of, of just a pithy thought here and a great comment there and a, and a great little verse over here. No, no, God didn't give it to us that way. Instead, he gave it to us in long form, in quite long form, so that he could very carefully explain it and express it and let us know exactly what he wanted to say. And so when you're reading through a passage like this, whatever kind of King James Bible you have, whatever the publisher or study Bible it may be, uh, mine, is a, mine, is, mine is an old Schofield reference Bible. And because of that, there are little, there are little divisions there in between some of, the, uh, some of the verses in the chapter. And whatever reference Bible you may have probably has the same thing. You need to understand God didn't put that in there. That was just whoever put together that particular reference Bible. That was the way that they outlined it for them to best understand it, communicate it. But you are not bound by that. Amen. That's not the word of God. That's just somebody's idea of all that. And sometimes they will divide things that really ought not be divided because they're not separate ideas. They're not separate thoughts. They're all really together in one context and context is so important. And so when we get to verse number five and it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, you need to know in verses one through four, it's talking about having unity in the church and being like-minded in their service together for the cause of Christ. And he's talking about how we need to put others ahead of ourselves and look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And in that context, verse number five comes. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Here's what I want to preach to you about tonight. From humility to exaltation. From humility to exaltation. And first of all, we see the mind of Christ. We see the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, 
thought it not robbery to be equal with God. I want you to see, first of all, that from eternity past, the Lord Jesus Christ was in the form of God. Now, don't miss what I'm about to tell you. And I know for some of you, it'll seem so, so overdone that you don't even want to hear it. For others of you, you need to hear it over. You see, before his physical birth, the Lord Jesus Christ was already preexistent and had been for all eternity. Jesus did not come into existence when he was born in the manger. He was the word of God. He was the son of God and always had been time immemorial. But that before his physical birth in the manger, he was in the form of God. If it helps you to think about it, the appearance of God, but the form of God. In John chapter 17, verse number five, Jesus is praying to God the Father. We think of the Lord's prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That is not really our Lord's prayer. You understand that. That's a model prayer when the disciples said, teach us how to pray. And Jesus said, here's the pattern. When Jesus is praying, the best example is John chapter 17. And he is pouring out his heart to God the Father. And in verse five, he says this, and now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. He's talking about long before he was ever a baby in the manger. He was with the Father in eternity and long before the world ever was. John chapter eight, verse 58. And Jesus said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Long before Abraham, our Lord Jesus Christ, the son of God was already existent. And he always will be, by the way. There's no beginning place. There is no ending place. Now I'm going to tell you more than I know. Are you ready? We have one God, one God, but he's manifest in three persons. You say, well, that, that's silly. Everybody knows that. No, not everybody knows that, but you need to know that because there are even so-called Christian groups who don't understand that. They don't get it. And they have trouble putting it together. We have one God manifest in three persons, God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit. All together, one God. And yet sometimes one of the manifestations is prevalent and shows up sometimes two, sometimes all three. But we still only have one God. We call that the Trinity. You say, well, well, that's simple. and Everybody understands that. No, they don't. I don't. Nobody really does. They don't. You'll have a Bible professor that tells you he does, but he doesn't. He's just trying to be helpful. Amen. There are lots of things that are one thing made up of three parts, but it always falls apart somewhere along the line. There's the egg. The egg is great. Eggs are wonderful. It has a shell. It has a white. It has a yolk. But the parts are not equal. Nobody wants an eggshell omelet. Nobody wants that. The parts are not equal. With our God, the parts are equal. I, I don't understand how all that works. Nobody really does. But what a wonderful thing. Amen. 
what a wonderful, wonderful thing. Our God is one God manifest in three persons. And so Jesus Christ always was. It's just that when he was born in that manger, he took on the form of man. He didn't change, just the form changed. And he boldly proclaimed his deity. There are groups who will tell you that Jesus never claimed to be God. But he clearly does it multiple times in Scripture, and I just read you a couple of them. There are many, many more. By the way, that was what got him in trouble with the Pharisees. That was their basis for, for wanting to get rid of him was that he claimed to be God. And he did. Amen. They were right. He did because he was. See, he was in the form of God. And then secondly, I want you to see this. He was made in the likeness of men. Look at verse 7 but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. He made himself of no reputation. He did that voluntarily. He did it voluntarily. He took the form not just of man, but of the lowest station of man. Now, that's not the way we would have done that. If we were going to organize it and have the God of the universe take human flesh and come into this world, we would have had him come as someone important, someone special, someone of note. And yet when God came into this world, he chose the form of a servant, the lowest form. And he did that voluntarily. He took, went from absolute unquestioned power and authority to servanthood. Now, listen closely to what I'm about to tell you. When he did that, he did not cease to be God. Okay, just settle that in your mind. He did not cease to be God. He simply voluntarily put away the outward form of God and took on the form of man. Whenever he desired, all of his eternal attributes were at his disposal. Every time a miracle was performed, you know what Jesus was doing in his earthly ministry every time he healed someone, when he turned the water to wine, when he walked on the water, when he calmed the sea, every time he performed a miracle, all he was doing was exercising the authority he had always had in all of eternity. It was always there at his disposal. When he spoke prophetically, he was just doing what God could always do. When, uh, when, he, when he raised from the dead. He didn't need somebody to come do that for him. He did that himself. He, he boldly proclaimed to Mary and Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And so he was just doing what God can do. And yet in the midst of all of that, we see the humility of Christ. It says in verse eight, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now, this humility is not shame. Sometimes we think of humility. Uh, I've, I've been humbled because I've embarrassed myself and, and now there's shame. That's not the kind of humility this is talking about. Instead, this humility is modesty and meekness and submission. That's the humility of our Lord Jesus Christ. The opposite of humility is pride. Now, if ever there was a, a basis for pride in anyone who walked this earth, would it not be for God in the flesh? I mean, if anybody had a right to be proud, would it not be Jesus Christ? 
God in the flesh who can walk on the water and raise the dead and heal the lepers and do all of those things. If anybody ever had a legitimate right to be proud, it would be him. And yet it was nowhere in his life. It was nowhere. It was not part of his life. Instead, we see humility. Brother Copes, can you imagine if you could walk on water? Wouldn't that be awesome? You could walk on water. You know what would happen? He'd be out practicing walking on water and then he'd be praying for a big rainstorm. So there'd be puddles in the parking lot. And then you show up here on Sunday and he'd be out there prancing across the parking lot, showing you how he could walk on water. And he'd take you down to the lake and charge you $5 to watch him walk across the lake. And his head would swell up and, and it'd be awful. He'd get so proud you couldn't stand it. Jesus could do that anytime he wanted. And never once did he say, hey, look at me. Look at what I can do. He, ne- he never did that. Not once. Any miracle he performed. Just look through the Gospels. He never once said, hey, look at me. Look what I'm about to do. Watch this. Those words never came out of his mouth. He never did that. Isn't that amazing? Remember now, he's our example. He said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It's not about us. It's about the Father. And everything ought to point people toward him. Not when we get to the place where we're saying, hey, look at me. We are in the wrong place. And we need to stop and take stock of where we are. Instead, he's always pointing everyone to his father. He was in submission to the father. It says in verse eight, he humbled himself in John chapter five, verse 30. It said, I can of mine own self do nothing as I hear. I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the father which hath sent me. So God, the son put himself willfully in submission to God, the father. Again, our example of how we're to live and how we're to serve and how we are to minister. He was in submission to the father. And if God, the son needed to be in submission to the father, who are we to think that we shouldn't be in submission to the father? Our own plans and our own ideas are not the most important. It's what does God want from me? What does God want from my life? That's the most important thing. He not only was in submission to the father, he was in submission to God's eternal purpose. Look again at verse eight. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You see, when the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world, he already knew what was going to happen in Revelation 13. It tells us that he's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That means before this ball of dirt was ever here, God had already determined that his son was going to die for your sin. Isn't that amazing? Slain from the foundation of the world in Titus chapter one, verse number two, it says this in the hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Now, now think with me for a minute. It's not a trick question. If God promised eternal life before the world began, who was there to hear the promise? So, well, maybe maybe some angels heard the promise. Well, the promise wasn't for them. Uh, Let me just 
Let me just imagine here for a minute, okay? Just think with me a little bit. I told you already, we got one God manifest in three persons. And so in eternity past, God is there. And God in those three persons, if, if we can say it this way, is talking to himself. And God the Father says, I'm going to create a world. And God the Holy Spirit and God the Son said, yes, that's good. And God the Father said, I'm going to create people on that world. And they said, yes, that's good and perfect agreement. And he said, I'm going, to, I'm going to do that because I'm going to love those people. And I want to have a relationship with them. And I want to have fellowship with them. And I want them to have fellowship with me. And God was in perfect agreement. And then he said, and they're going to hate me. Not only are they going to hate me, they're going to pretend I don't even exist. And they're going to make their own gods. And they're going to forget that I even did all this and that I'm here. And they're going to turn against me. And God the Son and God the Holy Spirit said, yes. And he said, because our fellowship is broken, I'll have to send you, God the Son, to be one of them so that you can die for them. And then I'll be able to have fellowship with them again. Amen. And God the Son, before this world was ever formed, said, yes, that's good. And he came into this world prepared to do just that. It was not a plan B. It was not a second option because the first option didn't turn out. It was planned before the world began. And the Lord Jesus Christ was already in submission to the eternal purpose of God before he ever was born in that manger. He was in submission to the Father and in submission to God's eternal purpose. And so we see the humility of Christ and what an example he is for us. And then in verse number nine, the whole tone changes. And you see the word wherefore. And that just means because of everything that he just said before that. Because of all of that, because of the Lord Jesus Christ and his humility and his example for us. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We saw the humility of Christ and we saw the mind of Christ. And now we see the exaltation of Christ. Do you notice that the exaltation comes after the humility, That's right. after the submission, after the obedience? Christ did not exalt himself. He allowed the father to exalt him. And by the same token, we should not seek exaltation for ourselves but live lives of submission to God and allow any exaltation to come from him and by him. It tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 6, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. If you exalt yourself, God has promised he will abase you. But if you will humble yourself, 
God can exalt you and use you for his purpose. Again, our example is the Lord Jesus Christ. He humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And God exalted him and has given him a name which is above every name. In verse number nine, it tells us that there is no other name. It's above all of them. No matter what other name you might come up with, the Lord Jesus Christ is above that. It's the name of redemption. It's the only name that brings salvation. Matthew chapter one, verse 21 says, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. There was no other religious leader who came and saved his people from their sins. There was only one, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts chapter four, verse number 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. There's only one, and that is Jesus Christ. Not Buddha, not Krishna, not Allah, not Muhammad, not Joseph Smith, not the Pope, no, Jesus Christ, the only name that brings redemption and salvation. It's the name of redemption and it's the name of authority. Notice he said, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day every knee will bow. Why? Well, because that name is a name that carries authority. It is the name that carries authority. No other name can do that. There will be no other that every knee bows before and every tongue confesses is Lord. Just Jesus Christ. That's it. He's the one and he has the name of authority. Down through the years, those, those who've wanted authority have tried to take his name and use it to get authority. The desire of Satan himself was to be like God and exalted above God. In Isaiah chapter 14, verse 13, he said, For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Isn't it interesting that even the devil knows the best he could ever hope for was to be like the most high. Did you notice he didn't say I'll be above the most high? Why? Well, because that's not even possible. There's nothing above our God. And even Satan knows that there's nothing above our God. One day the man of sin will be revealed, the Bible says. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse number three, let no man deceive you by any means for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Well, why doesn't he go to India and pretend to be one of those gods? Well, because there's no authority there. Why, why doesn't he go to Rome and declare he's the Pope? Because there's no real authority there. You want authority. You've got to pretend to be the God of heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. Men have always tried to claim they are the Christ because it's the name of authority. In Matthew 24, verse 23, it says, Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ or there, believe it not. During the time of Christ, there were others who said, I'm the Christ, I'm the Christ. Why would they say that? Well, because if they are indeed the Christ, 
then you have to follow them because there's no hope anywhere else. And so they would take the name and say that's who they were. And yet none were except for the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a guy by the name of Arnold Potter. Back in the in the mid to late 1800s, he he was the leader of a group of of Mormons and and he broke off from them and he claimed that the spirit of Jesus Christ entered into his body and he became what he called Potter Christ, the son of the living God. Mr. Potter died when he attempted to ascend into heaven. He (laughs) is a sad story. He he took his followers to a cliff and he said, watch this. (laughs) He said, I'm about to ascend into heaven. And he stepped off and well, you can guess how it ended for Mr. Potter. I mean, that was that was the end of that group. And yet people followed him. Why? Well, he said, I'm the Christ. And if he really is. You've got to follow him. William Davies, he was another leader that took a group of people and called them the kingdom of heaven moved to Walla Walla, Washington. Can any good thing come from Walla Walla? That's a good question. It's just a strange name. Amen. You would expect a cult to be there. (laughs) Unless you're from, hey, if you're from Walla Walla, it is a great little town. (laughs) I think. (laughs) It does have a weird name. You have to admit that it's a weird name. He said he was the Archangel Michael. And he had previously been Adam, Abraham and David. And when his first son, Arthur, was born, he declared that that was Jesus Christ. And when his second son was born, he declared the second son was God the father. Now, let's just be serious. That's crazy. Why would you do that? Well, because if you have Jesus Christ standing here, then everybody has to follow you because that's the name of redemption. That's the name of authority. You remember, you remember the Moonies, Sun Young Moon? He was believed by members of the Unification Church to be the Messiah and the second coming of Christ on earth to fulfill Jesus' unfinished mission. Well, I hate to tell you this, but Jesus didn't have an unfinished mission. He finished what he came to do. Amen. Jim Jones, so that's moving a little closer on the timeline. Some of you who are old like I am will remember that. I remember I was just in high school and I, I every morning I walked out uh, to the to the road and my aunt and uncle had a little convenience store out there and I would wait there for my ride to pick me up and take me to school. And I remember that day I walked out there and they had newspapers laying on the counter that had the picture of that congressman who had flown down there to see what was going on. And the dead bodies were laying everywhere and they shot him before he could get in his plane and leave. And those people literally drank the Kool-Aid and died. And those who didn't die, they just shot them and killed them. And it was a horrible, bloody mess. And you say, why would all those people go all the way down there to South America and follow somebody who's obviously crazy? Well, because he said he was the reincarnation of Jesus. And that's the name of authority. And if he really is, then you've got to follow him. You remember David Koresh, that's moving even a little closer. I was preaching down in Temple, Texas, and one day the pastor said, do you want to do you want to go check out the Branch Davidian compound in Waco? And my wife says I have a warped sense of adventure. And and I said, well, who wouldn't? I mean, that's 
That's awesome. Of course I want to see that. And, and so there was a visiting missionary and the pastor and his son and the missionary and myself. We, we went up to Waco and, and, we, and we found the place out there in the country. And we pulled in. There's a big archway and, and it says, welcome to the Seventh-day Adventist Branch Davidian Compound. You probably didn't even know he was a Seventh-day Adventist. He, uh, to be perfectly honest, he got kicked out of Seventh-day Adventism. Now, let me, let me clear something up for you, okay? Seventh-day Adventism is not Bible Christianity. Seventh-day Adventism, no matter how nice and all the rest, it's a cult. It's a work salvation cult. It is not Bible Christianity. They don't even know who Jesus is. It's a horrible mess. Now, think about this. When you get too weird for your cult <laughs> and you get kicked out, I mean, you're bad. Amen. He got, he got booted right out of there and, and they set up the compound and you know what happened there and a, a whole bunch of people died. Why were, why were they there following a crazy man? Well, because he said he was the Lamb of God. That's what he said. That was, his, that was his own testimony. He was the Lamb of God. And by the way, there are people living there today because he said he's coming back and they're waiting for him. He's not coming back. But he said he was because he was the Lamb of God. There was a woman by the name of Ann Lee. She was the, the founder and the leader of the Shakers. You know, the furniture. You've heard about the Shaker furniture and all that. Her followers referred to her as mother because they believed she was the female incarnation of Christ on earth. Kind of makes the furniture a little creepy, doesn't it? That's just something not quite right there. You see, down through history, men have claimed to be above or equal to God and they've taken the name of Jesus Christ. But no matter how powerful or no matter how insignificant, all will one day bow before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There are no exceptions. Every, every president that's ever sat in the Oval Office, their knee will bow and their tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every king who's ever sat on a throne, their knee will bow and their tongue will confess. Every prince who's ever reigned, every queen, every prime minister, every priest, every pastor, their knee will one day bow and their tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day Hitler, his knee will bow and his tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And over to one side will be Stalin doing the same thing. And Mao will be over there doing the same thing. And and Oprah will be over there doing the same thing. The Pope will be there and his knee will be bowed and his tongue will confess that he is not the vicar of Christ. But there's only one and it is Jesus Christ. Joel Osteen will be there. Oral Roberts will be there. Billy Graham will be there. Your pastor will be there. I will be there. You will be there. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everything in heaven, everything in earth, everything under the earth, there are no exceptions. What you have to decide is if you'll do it now or wait till then. Because if you do it now, that day will be a wonderful day. And, and when the call is given and God says, bow, you'll say, I'm proud to do so. I will do it now. I've been doing it for a long time. Give me some space. I'm going to hit the ground. Amen. 
But if you've never done it here, you will do it there. It doesn't matter if your knees have to break and your tongue has to come. You will do it. And if that's the first time you ever do it, it'll be an awful day for you. Because the next thing's the lake of fire. It only gets worse after that. I recommend you do it now. So that'll that'll be an exciting day because God is going to get revenge on all those wicked people. No, no, no. Hold it now. That's not what this is about. Look again at verse verse number 11. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know what all that is about? Glorifying God the Father. It's not about revenge. God doesn't have to get revenge. No. It's about God getting what was always due him from his creation. And that is to be glorified and honored by his creation. And he's given them every opportunity in the world to do it voluntarily. But if they don't do it voluntarily, one day they'll be forced to do it. Because God is only going to get what he deserves on that day. That's all. It's not about revenge. It's about glorifying God. That's why I say you should do it now. You should do it now. Say, but I'm already saved and so I don't have to worry. Yes, I'm, I'm glad. Listen, if you're here and you're not saved, you need to get saved. Because you don't want to show up that day as one who is forced to bow. But I know an awful lot of saved folks who don't live a life of submission to God. Instead, they've got their own plans and their own ideas and they've got everything figured out and they don't really need God very much. And can I tell you, that's an awful way for a saved person to live because you're missing out on what God has for you. He wants you to glorify him, not just on that day, but now. He deserves it now. And he deserves it from all of his children, all of us. And when we refuse to submit ourselves to him, we're not glorifying God. We're instead living in rebellion against God. And that never comes out well. But our God is so merciful that he gives you opportunities. Amen. Opportunities to change course. Get your thinking straightened out and say, I'm going to live a life that glorifies the God of heaven. And our example is his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to be important and I want to be known. No, no, no. Put that away. I want to submit to God and do what he wants me to do and be what he wants me to be. And then let God take care of all the exaltation. And when he does it, it'll be right and it'll be good and it'll last. I hope you'll choose to glorify him now and bow to him now and confess that he is Lord now. Don't wait till then. Let's stand together and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we could be here tonight in this place. Lord, thank you for your word. God, it's, it's exciting for us to read a passage like that and know that we are on the winning side. 
that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But God, I pray that you would drive home in our hearts tonight that we need to be doing that now. Not, not waiting for that day, but instead honoring you and glorifying you now so that you can use us to do your work now. And Lord, if there's somebody here who doesn't know Christ as Savior, I pray they would understand the severity of the issue and that tonight they would come and be saved before it's eternally too late. And we'll be careful to thank you for all that you do in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen.